0: Hello and welcome to Season 2 of Chatting to a Friend. Season 1 was the most amazing experience for me and the life lessons and wisdom I learned from my guests plus the fun I had was absolutely beyond my wildest dreams. The goal for Season 2 is to add more variety and diversity to my guest list. I absolutely love adventure and sport and so those will still feature heavily but I wanted to talk to more women who have very different life experiences to mine, careers, backgrounds and challenges that I wanted to learn more about to widen my understanding and broaden my horizons. I realise there's a lot of me, me, me in this intro, but it's because I still feel like it's the most extraordinary privilege for me to talk to and learn from these women. And so even if no one's listening, it remains the most personal of all my projects. Having said that, from the amazing feedback I've had and how much you have kept listening between seasons, I know you're going to love these conversations too. Please don't forget to rate and review the podcast either on Apple or on lovethepodcast.com forward slash chatting to a friend. I can't wait to hear how you love season two. So today is not only the 11th episode Of chatting to a friend for this season, but it's episode 50 all over of the whole shebang. And I'm really excited that the 50th podcast episode's guest is Lucy Bartholomew. Anyone who has ever heard of anything to do with trail running, long distance running, will know that Lucy Bartholomew is a bit of a legend. Started at 15 and is now only in her early 20s and has just been an incredible or is an incredible athlete, has won so many accolades and now as she heads into her mid-20s she is looking at life a little differently and this is what the conversation is about. It's about start lines, whether they are always going to be something that are important. It's about facing personal challenges to do with body size and What Matters Really? And obviously talking about her incredible movie, Running Out, as she ran solo on the Larapinta Trail in the Northern Territories. A really amazing character and an incredible interview and happy 50th episode to chatting to a friend. Hi, Lucy. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I'm absolutely thrilled to have you on. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm super
1: honoured to be on the podcast.
0: Oh my gosh, the honour is all mine. Um, I was mentioned to my husband that that I was speaking to you and he's a huge supporter of the podcast, but he was like, oh my God, you're talking to Lucy Bartholomew. (gasps) She's like a complete legend. And I was like, I know. So thank you. Sorry, a little bit fangirling. I'll stop now. Um, I, (laughs) I had a quick question for you, which maybe I should know the answer to, but you have... A little bit of an American twang in your Aussie accent. Where's that from?
1: Yeah, well, you'd be right. I uh, I think I have kind of a mixed bag from all my traveling around the world. I I kind of, I, my mom is British, my dad's Australian. There's no American in me, but I've, for the uh-huh. last few years, have spent time in the USA. And um, I don't know, I think I've just kind of held on to it and it feels very natural, but I think uh, being in the pandemic, it definitely has subsided a lot. And uh, <laughs> in the film that I just released, a lot of people were like, oh, she sounds Australian here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, and so secondly, and more importantly, congratulations on your amazing movie, Running Out. I watched it yesterday with my 11-year-old daughter and we were just blown away. It was really fantastic. So congratulations.
1: Yay. Thank you so much. It's been a, a whirlwind since November 2 when it went out and well, I mean, it's been a whirlwind since the whole thing started back in March. Uh, so it's an incredible feeling to now have it being shared around the world.
0: And what was more exhausting, running the Larapinta Trail or putting together the movie of running the Larapinta Trail?
1: Oh 100%. I mean, I can't speak to the uh, the videographer who put it together for me, but um that process of going back and forth and just having to watch myself run this trail over and over and over again. <laughs> I was like, gosh, this is just so tedious for him, you know, <laughs> watching me completely deteriorate for 43 minutes every time every day for many hours so I uh, I have so much respect for anyone that wants to do that and sit in front of a computer I'd rather be out there
0: yeah yeah because yeah, I'm just you know having you following you on social media and sort of I followed you while you were doing it and those guys oh my god what an insane support crew you had and that's a lot for two people to just to do all on their own
1: yeah, and I think the the most impressive thing is that we met in January and the project started in March and we'd spent a total of 10 days together and then we drove into the middle of the desert, 2 days into the middle of Australia and spent 14 days of pretty intense, you know, when you run that far and you're working that closely with your friends, you uh, you see the true side of everyone and mm-hmm. You know, it was one of those things where I had, you know, do I do this? Do I go with them? I, you know, I haven't spent much time with them. They're two dudes. Like, what's this going to be like? (laughs) And um, it was just one of those beautiful things where my intuition was like, I had a great time in January when I met them. I can feel completely confident and honest with them and uh, let's back each other into this project. And yeah, I couldn't have asked for two better sidekicks in it.
0: Ah, it was uh, incredible. So let's just have a quick recap. Oh, first of all, how has the reaction been to the movie?
1: It's been phenomenal. I um, Originally, this film was meant to be not a film. It was meant to be eight minutes. And it was just kind of like this short, punchy uh, showing of what Australia is for Solomon TV, uh, my main sponsor. And mm-hmm. when we came back and reviewed the footage, uh, we were th- downloading the memory cards and I was like oh we've got to show this bit and this is really important to me and this bit and Brian the videographer who put it together was just sitting there going Lucy there's no way in eight minutes this is gonna work and uh, so I pitched to make it a bit longer and by a bit it kind of went out to 43 minutes um, <laughs> but yeah it's just been unreal because you know 43 minutes you have to dedicate like an hour to sit down to enjoy it put your feet up make a snack like it's a proper thing to, to put aside that time and to, uh, to get tagged in photos from people all around the world, watching it with their dogs, their kids, their husbands, their wives, whatever, um, is just so fulfilling, I think, especially because it was such a huge undertaking.
0: So hopefully that has given you some of the sense of what you mean to people. And because I I get the sense that you've had a tough couple of years.
1: Yeah, correct. I've never kind of uh, worried or wavered in my thinking that I had amazing support around the world through that time. Mm. You know, I would be wrong to say that it kind of, you know, egotistically fills me up. You know, it was Mm -hmm. like, oh, wow, people actually want to watch and sit through 43 minutes of me. But on a deeper level, it's, you know, it's super reassuring that this film is incredibly raw and vulnerable. It's very me. um, Mm. And it's, It's very Josh and it's very Brian, the two guys that I went with. And I think when you put that out into the world, of course you have this feeling of, are people going to like this? You know, because I can curate Instagram. I can edit and filter and delete and edit my comments and change my wording and look up how to say something. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this is, you know, this was a one take. I I was only going to run the track once. Um, And so it was kind of really nice to be like people – will support me no matter what, no mm. matter how I sound, no matter what I look like, no matter how crappy I look on TV. They're just like, wow, you know, we don't look at what you look like. We're mm. more listening to what you say. And that's, that's really important to me.
0: And t- talking of what you look like, it's something you've discussed on your blog and uh, on social media, the sort of growing up in the spotlight that must be hard. You know, you did your first ultra at 15 and then you sort of, as you say, burst into the the spotlight with third place in the Western States in 2018 at age 21. But there's a lot of talk of, you know, in general about women and sport and women's bodies and people, you know, what they look like, how they are, what they do. How hard was that to grow up through those really precious teen years with that?
1: I think it's really challenging. I, you know, I have so much respect and kind of uh, empathy for the, the young ones that are growing up now. And it seems that everyone's on Instagram trying to grow a following from so young and make it, as I say, with inverted commas. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, you know, it didn't really, I was really confident when I was 15 and doing the sport and I ran my first 100K with my dad and I was kind of like, yeah, I love this. I love doing it. My body feels good. And then, like you say, when I came third at Western States, there's no doubt in me that I wasn't in a great place. Um, I was fit. That's why I ran 100 miles and came third. But I was kind of in an unhealthy and unbalanced lifestyle that I knew wasn't sustainable. But what happens is is when you overnight, after coming third place, you pick up 50,000 followers on Instagram and they all know you as that person, that shape, that size you know, that's who they know. And when I knew that I had to shift and, you know, gain some weight back and find some balance and change myself a little bit, not change who I am, but change my my shell. Mm. Um, you know, you have 50,000 people making comments and assumptions and actually like, this is who I am. And that Mm. was me working really hard towards a goal that was not sustainable. And I think that's challenging for anyone to, to kind of go through that changes and I had to be okay with it myself. But then I had to reassure people that, no, I'm okay. Like, this is fine. I'm actually healthy now. Mm. Um, Because I returned to Western States in 2019 in a totally different body and not only had what I would consider a poor performance, but I finished the race and had messages and messages and comments and things saying about me and my body. And I just kind of was like, this is just – so wrong on so many levels, you know. I came fifteenth, but that's thrown out the window, and suddenly, what's coming to question is my weight, my integrity, my diet, my all these things. Which I think, mm. for anyone to read, is incredibly challenging. Let alone a few days after running for twenty one mm. hours, uh, where your emotions are a lot higher.
0: And because you had a, I wouldn't say an epiphany. It's probably a bit too strong, but you, from what I've read and heard, that was a critical moment anyway, where you sort of lost a little bit of your love, the love for what you were doing, if I'm correct.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That was kind of, for me, standing on the start line of Western States in 2018 was this, oh my gosh, what an absolute honor. I'm so grateful. If I can just get through this, that's my life goal achieved. Mm -hmm. And when I came third, you know, obviously there was expectation and a lot more um, definitely feelings of like I had to do better the next year. And when I lined up in 2019, I had none of that. I had this fear, of this feeling of dread, this feeling of, oh, when will this be over? I wasn't excited Mm -hmm. to start. And in comparison, in 2018, I didn't look at my watch until 100 kilometers in, and I was completely can't even tell you that first 100Ks. It just flew by. I felt good. It was magical. In 2019, I think I looked at my watch about a mile in, and I was just Uh. like, is that all we've done? (laughs) This is going to go forever. (laughs) Um, And I just remember finishing and just going, I can never do that to myself again. I can't Mm. fake being enthusiastic for a whole training block, let alone stand on the start line with athletes who have, prepared their lives for this and, are, you know, hmm. been working towards this day. And here I am thinking that I can just, you know, fake my way through this. So that led to me pulling out of another big race in in Europe at the CCC in the UTMB Festival. Yeah. And kind of having to reevaluate and then Q pandemic. And I had a great opportunity to sit in my house and have a good hard think about and look in the mirror and say, you know, what are you doing, Lucy? Like, do you want to do mm. this? Or are you, is there something else that maybe you should chase?
0: And um, what was the answer or what is the current answer?
1: I think the, the Lara Pinter, the running out movie and that whole project was such a crucial part of my going back to why I started running. And it was actually my dad's idea to begin with. He said to me, you know, Lucy, I think you need to go back to when you were fifteen. You ran for, or we ran together for curiosity, and you ran mm-hmm. to see places and to talk to people and to just explore yourself, but also explore the world. And you can't explore the world right now, but you have an opportunity to explore something different. And so, mm. I, we kind of threw back threw around some ideas, and the Liar Pinter came up, and he's always wanted to hike it. It's usually a fourteen day hike, and. Yeah. I kind of was like, well, you know, maybe I should go out and just see what's out there. No pressure on how far I go, how long it takes. And, uh, when I met Josh and Brian in January, it kind of was this amazing sliding doors moment of like, you want to come, you'll, you'll back me through this. You'll be there to wait for me in the middle of the night. And, uh, it really restored my my love in what running is. You know, it's this mm. chance to move your body. It's, a, it's such a privilege to go for a run, let alone a run that takes three days. Um, <laughs> and then to have people that back you and then to have a community that comes out and meets you for the run and to explore this part of Australia that I'd never been, yet I'd travelled all around the world. I just felt like it really connected the dots of, racing to me is it's awesome but it's not why I run I if I could never race another day in my life I would continue to run I don't need yeah. the medals the accolades the sponsorship the times um I would continue to move my body no matter what and I think that the Lara Pinter really showed me that and the pandemic showed me that it's like well there was no races there was no person high-fiving you and clap patting you on the back to tell you that you you did good Hmm. um it was kind of just the the day in day out rhythm and that's what I really found joy in without the pressure
0: oh so many questions um first of all I wanted to ask you what how does that work the impact of that as a sponsored elite athlete just saying that's it I, I don't I don't want to race just now what was the reception to that
1: It was, you know, it was interesting when I chose in 2019 to then pull out of CCC uh, in Europe and then UTCT in South Africa, I was really fearful of what that would mean for my spot um, on the international team of Solomon. But in fact, I think with the way that the narrative is changing in that if I'd broken my leg, there'd be no questions asked. Okay, we'll Mm. wait and heal from it and then you'll return instead you know I was trying to communicate that it wasn't my body it was my mind and like my heart that were just not in it and their amazing response was take what you need take your time take what you need they still flew me to these races just because I was like I love everything about the racing I just don't want to be on the star line I want to yeah. meet people I want to support I want to cheer I want to just run around for fun and 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 Cheer on my teammates and strangers, and they were they were fine with that. They were like, "That's awesome. If that's what will fill you up and maybe inspire you to stand on a start line in the future, then that's great." And then with the pandemic that came, it was kind of like there was no races. The mm. expectations from Solomon reduced a lot, and uh, and instead I said, "I've got this project. I want to make this film. Um, initially, eight minutes." But they kind of said, yeah, we love that. We, we think you can tell stories really well. Here's an opportunity. And, you know, hopefully you come out the other side. And, you know, m- when races do start, you feel a little bit of confidence and um, curiosity to get back into that.
0: Oh, well, bravo to them because it's not often you hear that. It's not always you hear that. I wanted to go back as well to what you said about finding the joy in it again. And I love that. This is going to sound a bit bizarre coming from me, sort of middle-aged, uh, very amateur athlete or not even athlete, but someone who likes to do stuff. But when I came to the end of 2019, I had a very similar uh, thought. I was going through a bit of a tough time and and I had said, I can't do racing anymore. And I, I'm like a proper three-quarters of the way back in the pack kind of gal in different sports. And for me, it was exactly the same. Like the pandemic came and I, just as I had said... I'm not doing this anymore. I'm just going to do stuff that I really love because I can't do it. And so I have done trails too. I'm doing walking the Via Francigena, which is from, uh, well, it goes from England to Rome, but I'm doing it from Switzerland to Rome over many years. My point is, it is lovely to have that feeling of going back to why you loved it in the first place after my very long waffly chat. And I I think that's so important.
1: I I totally agree. And I think that you you need to tell yourself that you are an athlete. I mean, anyone that (laughs) you run for the bus in that moment, you're an athletic human being and we are born as athletes. Um, If you can move your body, then like you need to use that privilege that you've been given. And I think that, you know, we, there's a lot of talk in the ultra running world about having your why, because when you do something like an ultra, or you commit yourself Mm. to running this long trail, there's going to be so many moments where you're going to be questioning, why am I doing this? What on earth put me in this position? Why am I so stupid to do this? And you know, (laughs) all those questions of why, why, why? And what I found is that if you have a strong and cemented why of like, I am doing this, because I am, want to connect. Like for me, it's people, places and my passion. I want mm. to bring together communities. I want to share that widely on the internet. I want to see places and explore the world and protect it and enjoy it. And then I want to use my passion, which is running and cooking and um, communicating and telling stories. When you have that, it's kind of like that question of why can be answered really quickly and you move on. And I think that, you know, there were so many times in the Lyra Pinta where I was just like, well, this is it. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, why? This is so stupid. What are we doing? And it all came back to like, this is what you came here for. You came here to kind of sink a bit deeper and see what else, what you come out the other side when you're faced with such big challenges.
0: Mm. And so let's move on to the Lara Pinta because you know, that is a massive thing. It's 231 kilometers. Is that correct? And it's right out in the outback. It either starts or finishes in Alice Springs. So for anybody who hasn't lived on Mars forever, uh, it will know that that's one of the hottest, most hostile places on earth. And as you can tell in the movie, and as you've just said, there were times when you just thought, this is too hard. I mean, you said even within the first thirty k, you were crying on the phone to your dad. You say you you had your why and that kept you going. But how do you find those where do you How do you remember your why while you're in those moments?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so the Lyra Printer is 231 kilometres. I ended up running 250 kilometres. So if I reference <laughs> it as that long, it's just because I did a half marathon of navigational errors <laughs> 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 just, uh, just going forward. I think um, for me, it was, it was a culmination of a few things. You know, you say that at 30 kilometres, I called my dad and there was this one ridge which had one bar of reception. And it just so happened that I fell right there oh. and I cut my knees cut my hands and I remember getting up and looking out as it, the sun was setting and going I can't do this like I am so far out of my depth I'm 30 k's in i meant to have 200 kilometers to go like how can I be positive about this And I thought about just running back 30 kilometers and hoping that Josh and Brian hadn't left yet. But I (laughs) am calling my dad and he's sitting on the couch with with my dog. And he just said, Lucy, it's going to turn into nighttime soon. And whilst you always say you fear the night, you've always run best when it's at nighttime because what happens is – what, what is around you goes to black and all that matters mm. is your little spotlight and it simplifies everything and it doesn't seem as daunting, as grand, as intimidating. And so I was like, all right, I'm just going to go through this night section and come into the next day. And if I still don't feel it, I'll stop. And I think what I had in my mind was that I've, for 10 years, been in this sport of ultra running, running 100Ks at 15 and now endeavoring to run 250Ks at 25. And I think that I've been through so many hard times that I had a toolbox of different Mm. things. I had mantras. I had food that I could eat that would cheer me up. I had things to think about on my phone. I had pictures of the ones I love. I had music if I needed it. I had just like things that I could always come back to. And for me, it's always, you know, you have two things you can control in your life. You have your effort and you have your attitude. And Mm. so the effort is like the pace and slowing down and making sure I had food and I had my gear and I had everything I needed. And my attitude is something that I could control and I could – you know, for 250 kilometers or 230 kilometers, I had an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. And the angel's <laughs> going, you know, you've got this, keep it up one step at a time. You know, you drink it, you're doing great. Go Lucy. And then the devil's going, what on earth are you doing? This is the stupidest thing you've ever done. Get yourself out and never come back. Like you are not strong. You're not the runner you used to be. And you're, you're letting yourself down. And I think that the most challenging part of that whole run was not the running. It was being alone with that mental dilemma and that constant chat from each shoulder and choosing consciously to always choose the positive. And I Mm. think that when you kind of change that narrative and you go, cool. Yep. I hear you. I see you. I feel that, but I actually think I can do this. And I always come back to you know, I think I can do a whole lot more than what I've done. And, uh, and I really wanted to prove my, that to myself out there. And I didn't care how long it took me, but I was committed to, to giving my best. And I, I know what my best is after being in the sport for so long.
0: Mm-hmm. And you say, you said that, uh, not the runner you used to be, and you said it a couple of times in the film as well. Is that something you still think, or is that just that devil sitting on your shoulder when things were tough?
1: I think that's just, you know, comparison's the thief of all joy. And if I, and people have compared me to Western States 2018 and seen a completely different person. And that's not true. Maybe it's a different shape and different size and got different goals and different ambitions. But I think that I was so focused and committed in 2018 and I took my body to a place that, you know, is, is unsustainable and unhealthy. And I think that I was just kind of thought I can't do that again, but I did. Mm-hmm. And I did it in a different way that was, that was healthier and more sustainable because it was, all right, I'm doing the LARP trail. When I finish this trail, I'm, there's nothing else to do except for go back to lockdown and sit down and chill out and I will respect mm. what I've done. And so I think that I just kind of always said to myself, You know, that was always that devil's thing was like, you're not 2018, Lucy. She was so much stronger. She was thinner. She was faster. She was all these things. And it's kind of like, you know, maybe I'm not the aesthetic of that person, but I'm still the mind and the soul of that person. And that to me is like, I wanted to prove that it does not matter what shape or size or what I look like. What matters is that in my mind and in my heart, I'm like happy with what I'm doing.
0: And how do you access, you talked about earlier that toolbox, and I've heard many, many endurance athletes talk about that. You know, Mark Beaumont, uh, around the world record-holding uh, cyclist, talks about, you know, that comes, as you say, that, that doesn't just pop up overnight. You don't just walk out one day and can run 250 kilometers. But for people starting, what kind of things do you think people can access if they're just sort of getting to this point because it's not just about running is it it's about other things that you've endured in your life or running or or cycling or, or or whatever your endurance sport might be
1: absolutely I think that like your toolbox whether you athletically look for it and push yourself in that way or if you push yourself at work or you push yourself in any way I think that they they give you something, you know, everything happens for a reason in life. And I truly believe that. And I've come out of different situations and thought, wow, you know, like I either handled that really well, or I've got something to learn for the future. And I think that that toolbox is something that, you know, there should be so much pride that comes from, having to tuck into it and open it. And I think that a lot of people are hesitant because they're like, oh, you know, like I don't want to take myself to a point where I have to maybe think about that time that was really tough and draw upon that because that was something that I want to dismiss and shove aside. And instead, for me, I think that those are moments that like, I replayed a lot of hard times when I was out on the Lyra Pinter. It was super cathartic to kind of just be like, oh, remember, you know, like when your parents split up and remember when people told you you shouldn't run 100 kilometers at 15 and bad press was written about you. And remember all like, you know, and it was kind of just like, those are things that happened to me that have made me who I am and mm-hmm. made me really strong and made me have these things to draw upon and go, if I can get through that, well, then I can take one more step. And at the end of the day, that's <laughs> all you need to keep doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And what you said about the community coming out to meet you, that must have been super emotional with people coming and running with you at the end. Because I've seen that happen with other athletes and sometimes people don't like it, but you seem to absolutely love it. Did you love it as much as it appeared in the movie?
1: I did. And I think what I loved about it was that it was not planned. So I told the community uh, like a few weeks before we were coming that I wanted to come and do this. And they sent me back this, they all gathered together, the Red Dirt Trail Runners, I think is their name. And they wrote me a response and kind of said, great, like here's like our warning about the heat. It's not a great time of year. Um, And yeah, it's not kind of, you just make sure you're doing it safely and stuff. There was a lot of warning in it. When Mm -hmm. I arrived to Alice you know, we had a place to stay. We had people drop food off. We had people should give us maps, to help us out, um, drive us to some places just to kind of get an idea of what this was going to look like. And that was, I felt that was kind of it. And I was like, great. Well, you know, I kind of said goodbye before the run started. Mm-hmm. And, um, when I, got to 25k's to go. One of the guys the main guy who puts on the race there, he was there and he said, "Oh, we've been tr- tracking you throughout the whole run and everyone in Alice is going wild. They're super excited." And I said to him I was like, "Oh, I'm just so cooked. Do you want to come and run this section with me?" And he's like, "Oh, Lucy, I have my pack in my car. I just wasn't sure whether" <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, you know, like, like you say, he was like, I'm just, wasn't sure whether you'd be wanting company. And all, all I wanted was someone with me, but Josh and Brian were just totally cooked and wanted, I just wanted someone to talk to. So we, I set off with him and we were walking along, not really running at this point. <laughs> and we yeah. um, were kind of talking and I was like, Oh, I just would love to just I just want company for the whole time anyway lo and behold behind me he's texting the Alice Springs community going <laughs> he actually wants company like you guys start doing the course in reverse and we'll intercept you at some point and I had no idea and I was walking mm. along and started to kind of get some energy running with someone new and he was telling me about the land and the history and his life and I was just loving it because it was completely different and just a nice respite from the whole thing. And then on the last ridge, of Euro Ridge, just outside of Alice Springs, there was uh, eight women came up and that was the women's running group. And they came with, you know, an iced buff to put on my face and sweaty hugs and we started to descend. And then my favourite bit of the whole thing was that at 5Ks to go, all the kids from the kids' running mm. club joined me with their little head torches way too big for their <laughs> faces on. <laughs> And uh, they all wanted to beat me, which I just thought was so great. I was like, this is so humbling. I've got this like five-year-old just cranking past me. <laughs> and, um, and then to come into the finish line and to have a big, uh, they'd got a bed sheet and they'd all written words and drawn things on there and mm. had fairy lights up and it was Good Friday, so all the, Restaurants and cafes were closed in Alice and they knew that and they knew that we wouldn't know that. And uh, they'd, they'd brought us food to make sure we could eat something. And it was just because it was so spontaneous and I didn't know that this was something that was being planned and I hadn't pictured it. I think I dreamt of it. I was like, "That would be really cool," but like, I can't put that on people being like, "Well, can you please just wait fifty four hours and then just make?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it could be sixty. It could be forty eight. Oh,
1: be- <laughs> you could just cancel all your Easter plans. I'll uh, <laughs> I'll arrive at some point.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, how amazing! And did you? Did it give you uh, a stronger connection to your own country? Because it's a big old unit, Australia, and. You know, but to actually be in there and be in the community and feel like you were making this movie so that, as you say, Salomon could have more from the interior of Australia. Did you feel like a really amazing connection?
1: I did, yeah. And I think the reason why Alice Springs had been on my radar was that my mom, who's from the UK, she spent 30 years living in Australia. And she's never really spoken like super highly of um of places she's traveled to, but she always would say that the when she went to Alice Springs there was just something really spiritual about it and she's not a spiritual Mm. person. So for her to say that always struck me and I kind of was like, Oh, I want to go there and I wonder what she felt. And you know, when I arrived, I was like, Oh, I get this. This is a place that firmly leaves sand in your nails and Mm. a, a mark on your mind. And I think that, you know, the community has changed since then, obviously, but that feeling of they have so much pride in the the land they're on. There's so much history with the Indigenous. It is a very highly Indigenous area. And so that kind of cultural um, collaboration is just incredible to see, because I feel like on the coastlines of Sydney and Melbourne and Adelaide and Queensland, it's very kind of that's kind of stuff's pushed aside and it's not as cultural it's very uh international and uh I really wanted to to see like when I say that I'm Australian like what does that mean um and that was kind of definitely something that I wanted to explore more
0: and it was so lovely to you know for them you could see the excitement in the movie when they're talking about I mean she's Australian and she's really amazing and we're so proud and that That must've felt really lovely to hear that because you say, you know, what am I as an Australian, but you know, people, they take you as one of their own. They're like, you're super, they're super proud of the fact that that you, you're, you've done all the things you've done and you chose to come to their community.
1: Yeah, it's been, I mean, they watched the film first before it went live Mm. online. And that was something that I, it was my non-negotiable to anyone. I was said, I I need their blessing for this film before it goes out to the public and online. And, uh, they gathered in their, their local theater and I think there was about 260 of them, which is like the whole of Alice Springs to be. (laughs) Uh, And, um, you know, they, I was, uh, I had a live zoom link so I could hear them uh, and their response and watch the film with them. And, to hear them laugh at the banter between Josh Bryan and I and the community, to hear the the awe's of their land, to be like, oh, I'd never seen it from a drone and I didn't realise, you know, and just to kind of be a part of that and to feel that sense of pride with them um, is really incredible. I mean, I feel like they're all a family to me and Alice Springs will be a place that I continually return to. But I felt very, very honored that first time that I said, I'm thinking of coming up and running and the, the love the concern, the warnings, but they're also like, yeah, like that's going to be tough, but we'll be here for you. And whatever you need in Alice Springs, there's someone who can help you. And, uh, that's something that really rung true to me out there.
0: Incredible. And do you have plans to investigate other corners of Australia in such a manner? I do. I,
1: maybe not in such an extreme manner. I, um, (laughs) I would love to, like, I've not been to the West coast to Perth and those, which is meant to be beautiful. I've never been like super high in the Northern territory, which again is like remains really indigenous in the Tiwi islands. Mm. Um, so there's so much I want to explore, and I feel like that's the cool thing. Like Australia is a huge country; it feels yeah. like a a whole continent of different ecosystems and just people I would I haven't met in places I haven't seen. So. I think I'm really interested. I don't know if I need to run 230 kilometers through them to uh, (laughs) to feel them. I think I can, you know, step out of a car and get a good idea and it might be nice.
0: (laughs) Oh, well, I can highly recommend the high, uh, the northern parts of the northern territories. I have done, I've been up there in um, Kakadu and all that sort of thing. Oh, it's just it's God's own country. So I can highly recommend that, uh, for your next, uh, next travels. Um, what I was going to ask, I'm, I'm slightly going back on myself because I wanted to ask you, I saw you mentioned on, oh, I think it was on Instagram or some stories that you were going to be having a conversation with somebody about the line and the line. And we sort of touched on it briefly before about the line, where do you stop? And I've asked this of many of my guests who've done really impressive slash insane endurance events. And I'm interested in your thoughts on that line of, you know, this is absolutely crazy. I might die, but I probably won't. So I'm going to carry on or actually I really might die, you know, cause you had a lot of dehydration in that. You had a big period of, you know, where it was pretty tough out there. What are your thoughts on that line?
1: Yeah, this is something that I want to, that post that you're referring to is I want to do a a live Instagram talk about it and kind of a debate Mm. on it because some of the responses I got were kind of uh, very different to mine, which is awesome. Um, and I think that I've always kind of pushed boundaries and walked thin lines and be that running hundred K's at 15 and not hurting my body then. And, and then kind of doing races and pushing myself to be prepared for them. And then something like Lyra Pinto where I was thrown, yeah, dehydration pretty severely. And I think that, I think it's interesting. Like before the film went out, I put a post up to say, this film, I'm really proud of it. I'm really proud of what I did, but it's not here to glamorise or to tell you that this is what you need to do and you need to have these incredibly challenging and can be life-threatening experiences to make a great film or a great story or do something really cool because you can do it in a safe way and you should, should endeavour to do that. And, uh, you know, I had a few people that kind of said, yeah, I watched it and as a nurse I was just completely like, what on earth, why did she keep going? (laughs) And I said, do you know, when I have watched the film back and when Brian put together the section of dehydration, I was, I was shocked myself. And I think that when I watched it, I said, so Brian as a videographer has never seen an endurance event like this. He'd never seen someone physically push themselves to this in this way josh is a road runner and so hasn't seen probably like the real gnarly stuff that can happen and so when i c- crested the ridge after what was 7 hours of no water in the <laughs> blistering heat mm-hmm. i i looked at them for kind of i was trying to read their face if they were shocked then i was like i look terrible that's the end because i couldn't see how i was i knew how i was feeling but when i watched the film with the black lips of dirt and the incredibly puffy face and red and just so, just like a different, uh, a completely different person sitting there. You know, I was like, if I was Joshua Brown, I would have pulled me out 100%. I would have been like, great, Lucy, you've done your dash. We're going to take you get nine and we're all going to go to bed tonight. And my dad, (laughs) he was the same. You know, he said, you know, Brian had messaged me to say Lucy's really dehydrated. Um, we're just waiting for her to come. He said if he'd been there and he'd seen me, he would have he would have sort of had a very different conversation with Brian and said, "Get my daughter off that trail." Yeah, and I think that that's you know because Josh and Brian kind of were blissfully unaware and maybe a little ignorant to the fact that I was walking a very very fine line to what my organs were probably going to be able to handle you know, because they didn't look worried. I was kind of like, Oh, okay. Maybe I'm just like a little dehydrated and a little bit dry and I'll just have some water change clothes and I'll be good to go because they're not concerned then I shouldn't be concerned. Mm. Um, but I think when you're pushing that line, you know, for 10 years I've done racing and done things that have put me in circumstances where I've had to make that decision and sometimes I've stopped um and sometimes I've kept going and I think I know myself really well to know that mm. this isn't life. this isn't life threatening you know I'm lucky that I got to Josh and Brian when I did had it been another 10k's it'd be a different story um and it changed the way that I then went forward with the rest of the the other 100k's after it yeah where it was kind of like okay back to effort and attitude, you're going to have to slow down and you're going to have to try and be really positive about this, that you're okay with going slowly, taking way more water, um, and just being really gentle on your body from now on in a way that still allows you to continue for a hundred more kilometers nonstop. So I think that for me, like walking the line is like, it's something you do so sparingly. If you, if you're seeking to go that deep and to empty that well in your body, you can only do that, I you know, safe like healthfully. I would say you know, one every ten years. Like you shouldn't be trying to take yourself to that point. And you know, I think that that's what I wanted to showcase in the film is that like I totally own what went wrong and it was my misjudgment, but. um I was in a place and a headspace where I could still make my make decisions, and Brian and Josh mm. were also had their contingency plans. So it's uh, it's an interesting thing, and I think ultra running is kind of blurs the lines between. Like it's not uncommon to run 160 kilometers, whereas if mm. you talk to the local person at the supermarket, they think you're absolutely. <laughs> off and so it's kind of we get sucked into these worlds where the normal is changed, and if you 're peeing blood, that's fine, like it's all good, you know, and oh. it's just kind of like that's that's not okay, um yeah, but you know if you're willing to endure it afterwards and the aftermath and the recovery, and what that could mean, if you're going to say okay, then you accept all of that, and you know in that moment, I was okay with that.
0: Wow, yes. Uh, (laughs) I have to say, when I, because I've been support crew for my husband on a lot of endurance events. And in in fact, the very first time I met him, I was support crew for him on an endurance race. And I had to make calls on people that I didn't know. I didn't have the experience. I wasn't sporty in the slightest back then. And I actually called, I pulled my best friend, my oldest friend, off that race just because I knew her and I was like, no, you're done. You're out, stripped in the tent, 17 <laughs> sleeping bags, hypothermia onset, because she's about built like a twig. But it's hard. And I think probably the more experience I have, the harder I think it is because I understand now the mentality that comes with that sort of level of endurance, the mental game as much as the physical game. And and so I I I sympathize with them because that is that's a hard call to make if you don't know what side of the line your athlete is on.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, for those two, like they, Josh and Brian, they, they know me, but they didn't know me, you know, it was kind of like the only person I listened to in this world is my dad. And, you know, he wasn't there. And so they were kind of making judgments on something and they knew how much this project meant to me and what it was symbolizing to me. And so they didn't want to let that down, but then they also didn't obviously want to hurt me. And I think that's really challenging. You know, I think back to when my mom crewed me, who's not a runner, and she crewed me for a 100k race. And I remember coming into the aid station at 50ks and, you know, bless her, she laid out this whole like grand array of foods, the strawberries with the tops cut off and Mm. really put effort into it. And I think I came in and I changed my shoes or something and she was like, oh, you've got a blister. You should stop then. Like you, look, Uh. you know, and it was kind of like, no mom, like this is kind of part and parcel of this whole thing. (laughs) And it was kind of, it's so funny to look back on that. And I think that, you know, she thought that was crazy. You're running with a blister. What are you doing? And then I look at, <laughs> I look at this Lara into film and I'm like, God, I'm like a walking zombie. And I'm like, oh, yeah, all good. Let's go.
0: <laughs> oh, I, it's funny you talk about mums because I interviewed Martina Valmasoy on uh, the podcast last year, earlier this year. And, you know, she did that incredible effort doing the she took the the world 24-hour record yeah for ski mountaineering and because they were in crazy lockdown like Italy had just before she did it she was they went into like super strict lockdown and she had to just get random people she hardly knew to come and crew her for a world record attempt including not someone who obviously someone who knew her which her mother came and her mom was like (laughs) She was like, every time she came into the station, she was like, no, mom, no, no, not that food, this thing. I need those boots. I need these socks. And she just was like, at one stage, her mom's putting suntan lotion on her skins. And she was like, oh dear, she was trying really hard, but no, that's not happening again.
1: <laughs> yeah it's the same with my mum. my mum, you know after the race she was a bit a bit quiet and I was like oh are you okay and she goes yeah I was just disappointed you didn't stop more along the way to like ask how I was and you know to uh to have a chat and I was like well the thing is mum, is like the, the clock keeps ticking yeah. <laughs> like, this is kind of yeah. something that I want to do as fast as I can I just it's funny I mean she, she probably will never crew me again, but, um, she'll always be at the finish line when I have the, the energy and the time to sit down and have a yeah. talk with her. but everyone's in your life for a reason.
0: <laughs> I was just talking again to another guest the other day about being support crew for people and how, you know, it takes all your, especially when it's someone you're super close to, it takes all your emotional control to not let them know how you're feeling about the whole thing. Cause that's, that's really, really hard. I've crewed my husband a few times when I've had to just let him go off on the next stage and I've burst into floods of tears because I'm like, Oh, you're not the man I married.
1: Yeah, I think I know that Josh came back to his hometown and someone asked him about it and he was like, yeah, she was in a really, really bad place. And I was like, you know, you showed me no none of that like wavering cons- like concern or anything. It was mm. just kind of this... Yep. Great. Change of t-shirt, new headlamp, and uh, we'll see you in eight hours.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just, you just got to kind of switch into this most helpful person you've ever been in your life. Anyway, I wanted to say, you're talking of your mom. I know one of the things that you got from your mom, or I I think I know, is your love of cooking and food. And that's a, a big part of your life. It's something you really love and it's a big passion.
1: That's correct. Yeah, that's, that's right.
0: And so what, how, what do you, and you're uh, plant-based and just seems to be something that you love and is that something that has kept you going and i don't mean actually kept you going cuz food does i mean but one of the passions you've been able to sort of keep going during lockdown and this sort of transition period
1: yeah definitely so i i wrote a cookbook in 2020 to kind of i follow a plant-based diet my mom was never plant-based and when we were all living together you know she was of the old school mentality of like a meal is not complete without Meat, um, as the protein. And so when she moved away and my dad burns water, it kind of came down to, to me to do the the cooking. And, or I took that on, like I wanted to, to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess when I kind of learned about the environmental and ethical sides of following a plant-based diet, I thought, you know, I run through these beautiful landscapes and I want to protect them and I want to do any little thing that I can. And it just seemed like eating meat was a little thing that I could, could not do anymore. And, um, so we started to eat a plant-based diet and for me, it was kind of, I wanted to make food that I could enjoy and fueled us and was healthy, but then also my dad enjoyed and my brother enjoyed and, you know, they're not plant-based and I would never push them, push that on them, but I wanted to make food that we could all enjoy. And so I, I wrote this cookbook that kind of, yes, the, base of the meals a plant-based but you can add cheese on top or sour cream or butter on the mm. bread like you do you I want people to be happy and I mm. want people to eat what makes them thrive and is you know is just share that experience because for me just like running is about meeting the community cooking like nothing makes me happier than going for a run with someone coming home cooking a meal sitting down having a conversation looking them in the eye mm. and just kind of waffling on about whatever and I think that for me it's kind of uh, cooking is something that I'm able to share with people whether they're athletes or not and yeah it's just been something that I just loved and I can do it anywhere any 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 place around the world I love learning about the different cultures and different ingredients and trying to come back home from Nepal and make dal but make it vegan and going to Italy and you know enjoying all those aspects of it I think that yeah it's definitely something that I probably spend equal amounts of time on the road running or on the trails running as I do in the kitchen just mucking around and creating.
0: (laughs) Ah how fabulous I love I love food, so I'm all over that as a <laughs> as a thing now, two things I wanted to ask you one you've just had an operation on your eye. How are you feeling after that
1: yeah i uh I feel good. I feel some of the best I felt has been the last few days, so I had a cancer on my left eye, and so they removed it and it was quite a, just being told I feel like that's something that you know there's so much fear in society around. And so there should be um, around cancer. And so it was quite, for me, um, took a lot to absorb that. And then the process had me with one eye for a eye patch over my eye for two weeks. And that was really challenging. I obviously wasn't able to run all that much or do very much. And I definitely kind of was quite self-conscious of it. And then coming out, like I've taken the patch off and yesterday I was finally able to swim and put goggles on it. And ah. uh, that was quite a, a quite a really big thing for me because swimming's my meditation time, just head in the water. It's just been mm. cool. Um, so that was really cool. But I'm feeling I'm feeling good. I feel like this I was meant to not have the operation until December, but I was able to push it forward and I feel like it's really gonna set me up for 2022, knowing that I am in good health in all aspects, uh, hopefully as the world opens up for Australia.
0: Yeah, good, good news. And are you training for an Ironman? Have I got that right?
1: Well, I was. So uh, the Ironman was in is sorry, the Ironman is in Western Australia, and they have completely shut their borders until uh, probably about February or March. Um, right. The Ironman was meant to be December, so. I kind of, as as hard as that is, it's also not a bad thing because with the operation being moved, I was not going to be fit, and I don't really want to suffer through an Iron Man. I want to
0: <laughs> enjoy it. <laughs> so. Is is there another way to get through an Iron Man? Because I've not. seen my husband through a few, and I'm thinking,
1: well, <laughs> well, I you know I did a few blocks of tr- Iron Man training previous to. Having my surgery, and I just, you know, I thought ultra running was time consuming and like we were heroes of the world. I was like, man, we wake up <laughs> every day and we go running like, what badasses. And now doing Ironman training, I'm like, Okay. Not only do they wake up and they run, they then come home and put on their cycling kit and they go cycling, and then possibly, you know, just just to finish off the day, they'll go for a swim. I was like, these people, and then like a lot of have jobs and families and other things. This is my full time, and I still can't fit it all in. I just (laughs) probably need to get up earlier.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's certainly a time-consuming thing. I can attest to being the wife of an, an Ironman with two children. And oh. who who did his first Ironman when our daughter was three weeks old? Let's not go back to that particularly tough time of our lives, but <laughs> um, and then went to the Ironman World Championships and so on. That was fun. That part I loved going to Hawaii. That was cool. Uh, but it is it is massively time consuming, and uh, as you say, you have to kind of take your hat off to the people who managed to do all of that. And have a job and a family because it is impressive it annoyed me at the time but it's very impressive
1: <laughs> wow yeah. I think your husband is amazing but I think also you are more amazing for uh it's if everyone's got to commit it's just it's a team's goal I think uh, yeah I just yeah it was blown away I think it really put in perspective of uh how much I love running simplicity because I don't need to worry about tires and goggles and <sighs> helmets and cars hitting me and all this other yeah, stuff. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I think I very just simple it. very simple and running it's it's minimal time on the a bike I couldn't believe the hours it's just bonkers
0: <laughs> it's crazy and so do you think you'll crack on with that once the world opens up again a bit more
1: yeah. So I've deferred my entry until 2022. Um, cause like I said, I hadn't, haven't visited Western Australia. So this was kind of my excuse to go there, do the mm-hmm. Ironman and then travel. And so I still want to leave that little bit of mystery and unknown and get across there with the Ironman and make that a bit of a, a cool trip.
0: Awesome. That is amazing. Lucy, thank you so much for your time. Where can we find you online?
1: So the best place to follow me is on Instagram. So Lucy underscore Bartholomew. Um, Facebook is kind of a copy of Instagram, so I wouldn't bother doing both. And <laughs> that's really it. You can follow on Strava if you're really keen to see how s- slow I can go, <laughs> how much my dog runs. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, other than that, there's I've got a website. I'm happy for anyone to contact me through my, my website or my Instagram inbox.
0: Amazing. Oh, Lucy, I'm so grateful for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you in the flesh, so it were, uh, as it were. I wish you all the very best with all the bits and the movie and the eye and the training for Ironman. And I look forward to following on on social media.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that. I'll be back next week with some more great chat with another amazing woman. Bye-bye.